Welcome to the ProcureTech Podcast, where we aim to excite and inspire you about how technology will shape our profession's future. I'm your host, James Meads, and I worked in corporate procurement for 16 years before starting my own business as a content creator and consultant in the procurement technology space. I'm deeply convinced that procurement must become less technocratic and embrace the entrepreneurial spirit and creativity if we're ever going to shake off our image of being a process-obsessed, box-ticking function. You definitely won't find vanilla content on here, and we're not afraid to tackle some controversial topics and tell it like it really is. So if that's your thing, now let's jump right into this week's episode. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech podcast. We are the official podcast of procurementsoftware.site. And today I'm joined by a guest who's actually making his third appearance, the first one that's been on the podcast three times. And my guest is Joël Colin de Mer, Principal Consultant of Pure Procurement based in Montreal in Canada. And as I said, Joel's been on the show twice before. And in fact, his first appearance was just after the birth of his first child. So it's good to know that even sleep-deprived guests want to come on the show. It's always a pleasure to have him back because he's such a foundation of knowledge in this space, having implemented actually most of the large source-to-pay suite in some capacity. So, Joel, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, James. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. And today we're going to be talking about readiness for digital change in procurement versus actual capacity for change. But before we do do that, just give the listeners, if they've not listened to the previous episodes where we had you on, just give a quick intro to what you do just to contextualize what we're going to talk about. Yeah, sure. So uh, as you mentioned, uh, consulting principal at purepocurement.ca. I always say that the website now, which is funny, but it's it's just pure procurement. But essentially, yeah, I work with with uh, different customers on their digital initiatives, whether it be looking at processes and and the applications that you have and how to optimize those. Uh, I've been doing that for just over a decade, right? So spent six seven years at IBM, climbing through the ranks, uh, learning the SAP software, the Ariba software, and eventually managing the source to pay practice within the SAP practice. And about four years ago, I headed out on my own because I wanted to have exposure to a lot more different technologies uh, that are in this space, given that there's such an explosion of different possibilities. And I'm always trying to answer the question for uh, my procurement organization clients, you know, what is the best combination of solutions uh, to get us to our business outcomes that, that we want, right? So that's always what, what keeps me up at night. What, what keeps me going as well is that we have this massive tool belt in in the uh, in the industry to be able to answer that question, and the answer is always different based on the context of of the organization, whether it be industry, uh, you know, the budget that they have, the constraints that they have, and and that's what keeps it interesting over time. Yeah, exactly. And I'm glad that you touched on that because I mean, I talk about this a lot that there is no one size fits all solution. And and when you do see a, a CPO of a famous Fortune 500 company being interviewed in in one of the procurement and supply chain publications talking waxing lyrical about a certain solution, fantastic. You know, I'm sure that was great for for his or her organization, but you know, your business, the maturity of your business, the size of your business, the country that you operate in, the level of centralization, that's all going to play into 
you know, to what extent that tool will be successful or, you know, what may be a better opportunity or better choice for you uh, based on the type of organization you have. So glad we're going to touch on this. So readiness for digital change, what do you mean by that exactly? Because when I was brainstorming, I came up with, and it, and it was a very quick brainstorm, five minutes in a coffee shop when I was preparing this, but there, there were five things that I came out with. So the first one was having a software budget, which I guess is the obvious one. Company culture, the talent that you've got in place, the, the mindset or maybe the maturity, the prominence, the, the mandate perhaps that procurement has within that organization. And then finally, the all-important but often ignored one, is a C-level sponsor, preferably the CEO or the CFO. But let's be realistic. You know, we know that notoriously CEOs often don't know much or care about procurement. So I've bundled five of those on you, but let's try and break those down. What do you mean exactly by readiness? So, so to me, readiness for change uh, is... And one of the, the frameworks I really like going back to is, is the ProSci ADCAR framework. And ADCAR is just a long acronym for... Awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, and reinforcement. And essentially, if you're looking at it through that lens, readiness to me is those first two letters. So awareness and desire, right? So it means you have an attitude, an organizational attitude that is favorable to change. So in in the procurement department, it means you've got that executive level sponsorship. uh, You've got a good idea of where you want to go the mission vision behind what you're trying to accomplish with a, a transformation that may be you know over a number of years but you, you have a roadmap everybody's prepared for uh, for the change or is ready for the change right whereas what, what we were you were discussing that duality with you know the capacity to change uh, that's that's something that's much more intangible these days and is those additional letters right so do you have the knowledge uh, to be able to change and the ability so I see those as really the two the two different things, and and often we bundle them together. We say, hey, yeah, we're ready to change. We've you know we've got our change management team, and that's an attitude. And the other one is a capability, right? So, do you have the capacity to change? So, even if you've got your C level sponsor and a software budget, and you've got a conducive company culture to foster that, what you're saying is that doesn't necessarily guarantee success. That's right, because. And I've been thinking about this a while. I'm trying to put a framework together because the the literature on this is is still nascent, right? Like there's there's not a good framework or evaluation that you can do within your organization that that will give you a sense of whether or not you, you're you've got the ability or the capacity to change, right? Because when we when we think about capacity, it's really about okay, well, do we know what we don't know? Do we know the skills that we don't have? Do we know? You know, do we know all these variables that we don't know, essentially, right? So, so that's what's complex about it is, is do we have the ability, what is our ability to learn to learn, right? And, and things that are, are much more, are concepts or are much more intangible in terms of being able to measure them. Uh, systems thinking, digital, digital literacy, your communication abilities, the level and maturity of your, your communication and governance structures. Some of them you can measure a bit more like a government structure. You know, do I have a, a good best practice governance structure? That's something that's a bit more measurable. But again, it's something that if you don't know what good, good looks like and what the standard is, if I can do air quotes, um, then it's hard to know what you're lacking in capacity, right? Whether, and another aspect is workload, the workload of your, your folks, right? 
how are you measuring that today? And how do you know, you know, what percentage they're at and, and what they can take on, uh, additionally speaking, in terms of improvement initiatives, for example. So, uh, so that's something I'm, I'm thinking a lot about today. And that's the advantage from coming from a consulting background, isn't it? That you just get to see so many more businesses. Whereas if you're, and I guess that's often why if you get a new CPO in an organization, they're, they're hungry to make change because they've, they're often people that have skipped roles, you know, on their, on their way up to the top. Whereas career professionals that tend to stick in one organization, they may know the political landscape and how to navigate that very well, which of course has its advantages. But they don't necessarily get as much exposure as to what good looks like or or what is holding them back in comparison to professionals that perhaps move around a little bit more. And I think this is certainly in British and North American business culture, it's much more common to move between different organizations on your way up the career ladder, whether, whereas in, in sort of more European, continental European cultures, it's a little bit more... I won't say old-fashioned, that's maybe the wrong word because I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but people often tend to be more loyal to the companies that they work for. So, yeah, I mean, where would you put agility in all of this? Because that's a big one, isn't it? You touched on it a little bit in terms of process and governance because there are lots of tools, well, not lots, but there are more than there were, you know, in terms of online assessments for procurement maturity and, and consultants now have have a pretty neat framework that can turn that around pretty quickly versus years ago when they would send an army of people in to do that. But it doesn't necessarily tackle the underlying issues around how easy it is to implement and instigate change within an organization and to adapt processes. So it's the agility concept is more, yeah, how, how is information flowing within the business, right? So that's something that you can you can measure a bit more and ensure that and to me it's part of that readiness piece right where you're able to say okay do we have the governance structures in place where we're able to communicate information up from operational teams to middle managers to executives and then information down from executives and decisions down from executives to middle managers to project managers and and operation teams so if you've got those mechanisms and it's a yes or no question, right? You're able to say, yes, we, we have that in place and it works well, or no, we don't. And you're able to, to put it in place uh, as part of your readiness, if not, right? So so definitely, I think that's something that's a bit more uh, measurable, tangible, actionable. But if we tie it back to, as you were mentioning, uh, you know, the, on a personal level and, and folks switching organizations or, or even using a consulting firm where you have a consultant that has seen a lot of different things, that may bring best practices to the table, but it doesn't consider the context of the organization and the context of the collection of individuals within that organization that will be impacted or that have to deliver that project, right? So that's where I think we need to shed more light on that, not just in our conversation, but as procurement organizations that are working on continuous improvement to say, okay, how do we get our folks, uh, give our folks tools to better know themselves? So that when we ask them, you know, do you have the ability uh, to learn, to learn a new skill, the ability to communicate, whether it be written, verbally, listening, all these, these meta skills, being able to quantify where your strength and and weakness is. And so using, you know, typical, uh, MBTI assessments or, um, trying to think of the, the name for the other one, 
with the colors, there's a, an assessment with red, green, blue, and, and yellow. Oh, color wheel. We, yeah. we did it at Kimberly Clark. I can't remember the name. Insights, I think it's called. But yeah, I've, I've done that in the past. It's like a personality test based on how pushy or congenial you are in your work and how, day, and how analytical you are in how you tackle problem solving. Yeah, yeah. That's right. So I think doing, you know, we do those as team building activities often, but bringing that kind of data and, and knowledge of yourself and then the, the collection of, of all the individuals on the team to get a sense for where your blind spots are and where your strengths are and, and your weaknesses are will give you a better sense of, okay, what is our uh, soft skill ability and capacity for change, right? And what do we need to, to augment uh, in our team to, to make sure that we don't have any blind spots going forward? And then there's the, the more knowledge piece of things where it's more, okay, well, you know, do we have digital literacy? Do we know what that means? You know, can, can folks on our team pick up an application without much documentation? Or do we need, you know, do we need massive amounts of training? And even then, you know, we have trouble keeping up. And so looking at a couple of those things, because when you implement technology in your procurement department, those are the types of things that are going to hold you back, right? In terms of delaying a project or not getting the most out of a solution once it's implemented and, and the the experts that were there to implement it are now gone, right? So like the, there's a soft skill piece, the knowledge piece, and then the workload or the capacity just from a hours standpoint, right? But being able to use those hours correctly is looking back at those soft skills and, and uh, I'll call them hard skills, your, your knowledge and ability to learn. Got it. So let's take the two extremes and then let's, sort of dive into talking a little bit about what I guess is where most organizations are, which is somewhere in the messy middle. So the ideal situation is obviously if you've got a mature procurement organization with great people, progressive culture, you've got, as we said, a C-level sponsor and you've got the budget to go out and buy the software that you'd ideally like to buy. And as luck would have it, you have someone like me or you in your procurement team that knows what they're doing in the digital procurement space and can go out and purchase a piece of software that is user-friendly, fast to implement, and is a modular structure that you can bolt things onto the back of. Great. The reality is in most organizations, we don't have that. In the absolute worst case, you've got a very immature, decentralized function, no mandate, and (laughs) for whatever reason, you've decided to implement one of these big behemoth, clunky, legacy procurement suites that that need an army of consultants and a, and a shed load of training to, to implement into your system, into your organization, which obviously that probably wouldn't happen, but that's going to be the worst of both worlds. Most organizations find themselves somewhere on the spectrum of, you know, closer to the worst case or the best case. Where do you typically find most of them? And which of these things that we've touched on do you come across most often? And how do you advise clients to to go about solving those issues? Yeah, so that's a very good question, right? Very well laid out. And I think most organizations that I've dealt with in, I'll say, North America, uh, a bit in Europe is, is I'll put them on the, in the middle of the continu- continuum, a bit towards the um, the worst case scenario side, right? So digital literacy and, and being able to pick up applications and knowing about the procurement application space is not given to everyone. And it's, it's not part of the job description for procurement anyways, at least not, not the, uh, the, the legacy description of the past 25, 30 years. I think increasingly it is becoming so because you need to marry process, people, technology, 
correctly to get the the desired outcome that you want if you want to be a high performing organization. Uh, but to to answer your question more directly, how do I advise that folks go about this uh, to be successful? Is to start as small as possible, right? So if you think of, I like the analogy of a snowball. If you think of a snowball, it starts starts off very small, very small. Uh, it doesn't look like much. Uh, so not very many users, not not a big scope. And then you want to put eight players in that small snowball at the beginning, right? And you want to you want to get them pushing that snowball to generate momentum. And if you do it that way, then you know that whatever tool you're picking and, and implementing, it, it goes live with minimal risk in a given category or with a really small scope of users. And then you're able to grow that uh, naturally over time just because, okay, it works. We don't have very many problems. We can integrate more users into the into the scope of, of the application. And then it kind of grows by itself right as you push it down the hill. Whereas if you start too big and you have too many users in there uh, from the get-go and you rely on classic training where, you know, you put them in a, a classroom, you go through eight hours of, of training or however many, depending on the role of the person, and then you switch, go live and you put, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of users in that system at the same, uh, at the same time, uh, then what happens is, uh, you know, you have a number of problems because of people using the system the wrong way, whether it be data quality problems, uh, tickets that start opening up, and then you don't have time to to secure the the knowledge of the folks at, all at the same time and, and then grow from there because you have to fight fires on 100 fronts at the same time. You just have to start managing tickets. And so I think that's the, the biggest trap is to... to to, and, and I wrote about this on LinkedIn recently, right? To think you're going to transform your organization very quickly and you're just going to implement new processes, new systems, and everything's going to work uh, very well, right? The, the, the longest thing to change will be the humans in that, in that triad of people process technology and being able to, to use technology to our advantage, right? We see it with all this chat GPT chatter recently where it's not, it's not the, the tool or the output that's the problem. It's the quality of your questions and of your input, right? And I think it's very much the same thing with that will determine your success in any procurement application is it's a tool, right? You can use it for good or evil. Uh, you can use it well or not well. Uh, and so, um, it's a, it's a multiplier of, of whatever you, you, you put on it, right? So if you put chaos, It'll multiply your chaos if you put uh, measured uh, small growth and the small scope growth over time, then it'll amplify those positive uh, results as well. It is, but then to some extent, there is a certain amount of oomph that you can give the potential of success by by choosing the right solution as well. Right? I mean, I, I get completely where you're coming from that you can put the best procurement tool into an organization that's not prepared and it will fail, but I look at it a little bit like, it's a little bit like going on a date. Well, why would I, if I've got the opportunity to, then of course I'm going to wear nice shoes and wear cologne and I'm not going to do my hair because I can't. But, you know, you, you, there, are, there are little things that you can do that, that don't really cost anything, but are, incre- are, are infinitely going to enhance your chances of, of being successful. And it's a bit like that with procurement software, I feel, or any sort of project management, that if you do your research and your due diligence and you understand the market up front and see perhaps where solutions have failed or been successful in, in other similar organizations, that's going to, it's not going to guarantee, but it will certainly give you a flavor. So 
I do challenge to some extent when 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 I hear uh, you know the solutions not the choice of solutions not important. It's company culture and preparedness. Yes, it is, but I still think that it's a big factor that you know you can completely influence because that's completely and you're you're not dependent on. I guess you are in terms of relying on them for implementation, but you're not dependent on third parties for that part of the of the conundrum because if you're ultimately responsible for choosing what solution you go for, along with perhaps the CFO and IT. And that's within your control. Dealing with difficult stakeholders isn't really, you're stuck with them. Yeah, no, no, I, I think you're absolutely right, man. There, are, there is differentiation between, between different solutions. Doing your due diligence and, and picking the right one is also an important part of the, of the equation, right? Doing your knowledge. And the bonus is that it helps you in determining your capacity for change in the sense that you're getting a sense for, okay, what do our people need to be able to, to, to meet X business requirement? It's going to mean that we need Y functionality and then we need Z ability within our firm for administrators or for business users to run that functionality durably over time, right? So any dollar invested and, and hour invested before you start implemented pays dividends during and after your project as well, right? Because you you tailor it to go back full circle to what we were saying at the beginning, you tailor it to your context, to your capacity and capability to integrate technology into your organization and, and drive the outcomes that you want. Because at the end of the day, it's, that's why you're implementing technology, right? Is you have a specific objective, a specific outcome that you're looking for, and that you're using technology to enable that. And it's back to the old Simon Sinek start with why or what or Stephen Covey start with the end in mind. You know, what's the ultimate end destination that you want to get from that? You know, you shouldn't be implementing software X just because five other CPOs that you know are doing it. It's <laughs> that's probably the worst reason why, reason why you try and do it. That's right. Yeah, because you for every success story with a given software, you'll hear a, a very opposite uh, train wreck story for potentially the same industry, right? And so it, it really the context matters in these implementations. And another, another thing it, it brings to mind is um, aligning the supplier incentives, whether they be your software vendor or your integrator, to your business outcomes, your desired business outcomes, right? So I always go back to saying, okay, well, if you want, if you're going to reach X objective, you need to have adoption of that solution. And, and to have adoption of that solution, you need folks who know how to drive adoption in that solution to help you do that, right? So if you're able in your contracts with your implementer or with your software provider to bring in incentive measures around uh, adoption of the solution and have them uh, contribute to that uh, with what they've seen in other organizations or, or contexts, then, then that could be something that will help you along that journey as well. So out of everything that we've tackled today on this on this short interview, which of these do you personally think is the trickiest one to solve? Other than choice of software, which, you know, we let's assume that that's apart from budget, it's within your control. Yeah, for me, it comes back to, and that's why I'm doing a lot of thinking on this topic and our, our conversation has been a bit scattered is because I don't have a, I haven't developed a framework yet, but is the capacity, measuring your organization's capacity for change and then aligning that to, or aligning everything else to that, right? Whether it be your project plan, your deployment plan, uh, you know, the type of solution you're going to get. Because you might say, okay, we, you know, we want to differentiate ourselves on, you know, the, the sophistication of our contract management process for whatever reason. So we're going to go get a, a, a bleeding edge tool 
for contract management. But when you look at it, the functionality, you could do everything with this tool, but it's too much, right? It's it's so yeah. intricate. There's so many settings and functionalities that you get lost in the sea of of functionality, right? So so that may because of the capacity of your people to adopt that bleeding edge tool in your industry or in your particular organization, right? So really being mindful of that and saying, okay, well, maybe that's not where we need to differentiate. Maybe we need to go with a, a contract man, man, a lifecycle management that's not best of breed, that's not the most expensive, but that's going to get the job done for for this particular vertical in our procurement value chain. And, you know, we'll dif- differentiate on, on something else, right? So having those discussions internally, though, that think that deep thinking around what is your capacity? What are your objectives? How do you match the two together? Uh, I think is, is at least is what I'm thinking a lot about recently because I, I feel like it's often we have this, um, this dream that we're going to implement these applications and they're automatically going to bring us to the next level, right? That that's, it's sort of the, the silver bullet. But I think it's a, it's a mistake to do that because you, you don't consider your capacity for change and your capacity to, as an organization, integrate that and, and then as a triad with people process technology, then go up to the next level. So I hope, I hope that makes sense. It's not too convoluted. No, I, I love that. Contract management's an interesting one because as far as I'm aware, there's no contract management tool that's got a robotic arm that pulls contracts out of everybody's desk drawer. And that's usually the biggest <laughs> problem with figuring out what contracts you've got, right? So I guess what you, if I can paraphrase you a little bit then, what you're saying is then really it's, it's having the self-awareness within your leadership team to understand the relative strengths and weaknesses in your organization and, and, to, and to, be able to, to be able to be cognizant of that when you're going out and looking for procurement tech solutions and also ascertaining how much support you may need with perhaps data cleaning or implementation or, or cultural change around bringing people on board. Yeah, absolutely. And, and also, I would add to that the, the individual contributors' self-awareness of their strengths and weaknesses, which is not something that's given to, to everyone either, right? Like yeah. knowing that you're going to have a, a tough time learning a given technology or that your weakness is going to be, I don't know, in, interacting with folks to get to a final state process or you're not process oriented, you're more feeling oriented and, and social socially oriented. Like being very aware of that and also being aware of what is is required to deliver one of these projects to give you the best outcome, of course, is another piece, right? So it's that some that conversation between leadership of how do we perceive our folks? How do they perceive themselves? Uh, what's their capacity from a workload standpoint? How do we uh, give ourselves the best chance for success in terms of our soft skills, our hard skills, and our ability to deliver with with time? Fantastic. I'm going to round this off, Joel, by just asking you, you you're putting out quite a bit of content at the moment and you've uh, You've got a newsletter and a Substack, and you're also doing a little bit of podcasting, and you've also brought out a course as well. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that, and we'll uh, we'll put the links in the show notes? Yeah, sure. So I've got yeah an e-course that I came out with recently, which is really targeted at um, procurement organizations that are want to navigate the the procurement application market a bit better. So it's really two parts. The first part is really breaking down the procurement process into, into these into manageable pieces or getting a common language, common framework around how we, we discuss the procurement organization. And then the second piece is matching the application market to those definitions and discussing the strengths and weaknesses of the different categories of systems out there, whether they be ERP, uh, source-to-pay systems or, or pure play or best-of-breed systems. 
how to match them together, their, their strengths and weaknesses are. So it gives you really a good foundation on which to jump off from if afterwards you're going to do an RFP or you're going to market to get a solution or just crafting a, a roadmap and an architecture. So essentially, there were discussions I was always having systematically with clients that I said, let me, let me package this so that, you know, even if with my own clients as, as I start a project, I give them this two-hour training and they're able to go through it self-paced and, and, and then we all have a discussion of we all start at the same spot, right? So that's really the objective with, with that training. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, I'm, I'm always on the, I'm always kicking around doing podcasts uh, myself. Uh, I have my newsletter that I do at least once a month on the top five pieces of content that I found on procurement digital transformation. And uh, yeah, just on, on LinkedIn uh, a lot as well. And just uh, always part of the discussion, trying to be part of the discussion for moving the space forward. Awesome. And where can we find, is your course on your website or is it in, on one of these online course platforms? So everything is, is on pureprocurement.ca. So whether you want to find in the store section, the course, uh, you want to sign up to the newsletter with the big, the big subscribe button at the top of the website, or you want to punch out to my LinkedIn profile, you can all do it from pureprocurement.ca. That's easy to do. We will link to that in the show notes. Joel, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for coming on again. And uh, yeah, take care and let's catch up soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. Always a pleasure. Okay, that was Joel, who is fountain of knowledge, as I'm sure you will agree in this space. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We know there are a lot of procurement podcasts out there right now. Most of them are actually pretty good. So thank you for choosing to listen to us on this fine day. Don't forget, if you want to get our newsletter, which we publish once a month, go to our homepage, procurementsoftware.site, and you will find the sign-up form on there. Until next time, take care wherever you are in the world. Thanks again for listening and bye for now. Mm-hmm.